This is Seeing Red, the New York Soccer Roundup on Backheel.com with your hosts, Mark Fishkin, Dave Martinez, and Dan Dickinson. Seeing Red, the New York Soccer Roundup, right here on Backheel. This is Dave Martinez alongside Dan Dickinson. Danny, how are you, sir? I'm doing all right, Dave. How are you tonight? Is it okay to call you Danny? It's never okay to call me Danny, but I, that's I okay. You, you're in, you're in a tremendous amount of pain, so I won't make it a <laughs> for you tonight. Yep, and, and the pain isn't CBA-related, people, as much as you may think. Oh. <laughs> the, the last few days have been tough for me and my pal Dan over here, but uh, here we are. You know, we finally have a season to look forward to. We have a preseason to, to finally analyze to death, and a match coming up this very weekend as the New York Red Bulls open up at Sporting KC Park. Uh, this is going to be a, an interesting season for the Red Bulls, as we've documented in the past. Uh, quite the regime change that happened over the offseason and uh, several new faces. So we're going to break that all down for you. Uh, we'll preview the uh, Sporting KC match. I'm sure we'll make fantastic predictions, as we have for the past five years. And we'll talk to New York Red Bulls head coach Jesse Marsh, followed by your emails on this our, oof, you know, it's over 200 at this point. Do we keep on counting? It's 201st. It's 201st. Even at 201, <laughs> it just gets tough to count, man. It's it's one more seeing red for you this week. Dan, uh, the preseason is over. The CBA is no longer a concern. And we finally have matches to look forward to. So how are you feeling? Um, You know, when I look at, look at the... the entirety of the preseason I, I feel pretty good despite all the turnover despite all the the change in the Sturm and Drong you know the the team seemed to to click during preseason and I know talking to a lot of the guys at uh, media day on Wednesday Wednesday Tuesday man this week um, you know they all seem to have bought into the new the new regime you know they think the the team is playing at a a different level, high energy, you know, all of those great adjectives that, that people love to throw around. Um, but, you know, I, I'm looking over these results just to remember what all happened. And it, it was not a bad preseason, which is normally not how it goes for this club. Bad preseason, but it ended in such a bad way against the Union. And we're going we're gonna to dive right into that. But let's talk a little bit about that media day, because you're right. We did have a chance to speak to a lot of the players. Uh, Luis Robles and Dax McCarty weren't there because they were clearly working on the CBA. Uh, but the words and and the predictions and the insight from the from the players themselves on the team was quite telling. As you said, they're talking about a high tempo system. Uh, they seem to be changing up the way the fullbacks play in that system. Uh, it's not going to be the direct style of the Petke years quite clearly. As a matter of fact, we keep on hearing the word sophisticated, speaking of adjectives. Sophisticated has been said many times over. What does that mean to you, Dan? What is uh, what does the new sophisticated Jesse Marsh style mean for this club? I assume it just means they're going to read books while they pass everything. Right. No, I, <laughs> I, I, I'm not sure to be honest with you. Um, to to take a turn a phrase from a frequent guest of this show, um, I I think it will probably mean that they're playing uh, higher tempo is the thing I heard the most. That that there will be real clear pressure on the ball. Um, it looked from most of the preseason games I saw that it's still going to be a four-two-three-one style of lineup. Um, with uh, what was it? It was Dax and Felipe and the the two anchors in front of the four back, the the defensive line. Um, I think normally Sasha was out on the left, Bradley up top, uh, Peggy was still playing in the middle, and, and Sam on the right. And I think you'll you'll just 
you know, that, that center core, whether it's Peggy or whether it ends up being Sasha or, or even Leo Stoltz, you know, I think that's a stronger central midfield than what we necessarily saw last year, what, you know, when they were trying to squeeze Tim Cahill in or when you had Eric Alexander, who, you know, had plenty of good games, but also had a couple of uh, notable duds during the course of the year. So I, I think it will just be uh, higher pressure, you know, and just a lot of coaching cliches, you know, we're going to take it to the other team, those sorts of things. But I think the team is certainly younger and has some more energy than in previous years. What do you think, Dave? I think uh, younger is a great way of putting it. Uh, there is some level of inexperience on the defensive end, which does worry me. But you're right. The midfield is probably the strongest it's been over the past five years, clearly. Uh, you bring in a guy like Sasha Kleschen, uh, Dax McCarty, Felipe in the middle, uh, even their rookies. I mean, Sean Davis, Leo Stoltz have looked fantastic in the preseason. And we're going to look into the preseason standouts uh, throughout this show. Uh I think you would have to start right there in midfield. Sean Davis was, I thought, fantastic throughout the preseason. Do I think he's going to be a starter? No. But I don't think that he's going to be one of those uh, rookie players of, you know, well, we'll call it the Petke era, we could call it the Hans Baca era, whatever, what have you. But the past five years, it's been very difficult for rookies to make their mark on the club. It would have to take a catastrophic loss, an injury to a star player for them to get a chance. And I, I think this year what we're going to be seeing a little bit more is, in particular because of the talent level of these young guys, you're going to see a bit more of late-game substitutions from Je- Jesse Marsh with these young players, with a Sean Davis, a Leo Stoltz, just to reignite the offense. Uh, on the defensive end, it's, it's the same deal. You do have some new faces, uh, several competitions all over the field. Uh, the back line seems pretty settled. Uh, Kyle Rainish is the lone addition to the back line. Ryan Mira um, loaned off to New York City FC. Santi Castano will most likely be uh, featuring for USL2. Uh, so you're looking at Luis Robles once again in the back line. Um, and he had, I think, a strong preseason up until that union match where things Oof. completely collapsed. Yeah, I, I saw some of the highlights from that, and uh, the, the sooner we forget about them, the, I think I saw somebody on Reddit said, uh, you know, okay, so that was Robles' one bad game for the year, so it's done, and, <laughs> and we're good, right? So, um, no, I mean, Louise was very steady throughout the preseason, and, you know, sometimes those games happen, and so be it. Um, you know, moving forward and looking at the defenders, it's a lot of new faces, um, a couple of old ones. You've got Roy Miller returning as the longest tenured player on the team, uh, entering his, what is this, sixth season now? Fifth? No, sixth season. Ventures since the beginning of 2010. That's, that, that may be a record with this club. Mm-hmm. Um, Connor Lade's returning, Matt Biazga's returning, uh, Chris Duvall's returning, and, and seems to have locked down that right back spot um, at this point. But you've got a lot of new faces, as you mentioned. You've got Ronald Zubar, uh, Andrew John Baptiste. Uh, Carl Ulimet, uh just signed today. You've got as did Sean McLaws. Um So you know, I I think I I think there will probably be the sort of traditional shaking up and and trying to figure out just what the back four really looks like longer term. Um, but you know, I think that's something that most people around this club are pretty used to. I, the, there's always some uncertainty about it, and until they get on the field and actually start performing. Nobody's going to give them much time of day. No, they're they're not. Uh, but one person they will be def- they will be depending on on the defensive line is Ronald Zubar. Uh, we're going to speak to Jesse Marsh here in the second segment of the show, and uh, Jesse makes it very clear that 
the Alave role is Zubar's to bear. He will be that rock on the defensive line. Uh, from what you saw from Zubar this preseason, uh, thoughts, impressions? I unfortunately did not get to see enough of him uh, <laughs> because of the streams. But I, I will say, when we were at Media Day, uh, I talked to Matt Miazga a bit about, you know, they, they brought in all these defenders. And you know, he's, he's been here a couple, this is going to be his third season with the club now. Um, and I asked him, you know, is it frustrating to have to compete for position? And, you know, he said he loves the competition and everything else. But he actually uh, name-checked Zubar as somebody that he wants to learn and grow from. So beyond what Jesse will say in the next segment, you know, I, I think he is definitely got that perception, even within the locker room already, as being that sort of veteran defender that this club can, can build around. Absolutely. And the feeling's mutual because Zubar said the same thing about Miazga. He wants to be a teacher to the young men. And let's face it, going into this preseason, were it not for injury, that would have been the, your clear starting center back lineup right there. You have Miazga, the young, uh, the young student, and uh, Zubar playing teacher role in the middle, and that would have been it. But unfortunately, Miazga got hurt in Austria, and here we are in the situation, uh, which will bring, interestingly enough, it looks like the front runner for that second start, uh, center back starting spot, Damien Perinel. Indeed, and I think we barely saw him last year, so it will be interesting to see how he pans out this year. Let's, uh, you know, we talked a little bit about the midfield, at least in the center. Um, on the flanks, you know, it looks like it's pretty locked down. You've got Sasha on the left and you've got Lloyd Sam on the right. Do you see Ruben Bover breaking in at all or Salzizo being a, a routine starter or just a sub? I, I think that Zizo would most likely, uh, push come to shove, get that left spot uh, on, the, on the midfield and they would move Sasha closer to the middle. He was talking at media day about being so comfortable as an offensive player and a distributor uh, loving to take shots and things of that nature. So I think that eventually, or perhaps from day one, we will see Sasha in the middle and Zizo on the left-hand side with Sam on the right. Uh, as, for, as far as Ruben Bover, who's very quiet this entire preseason, what we've come to learn is that he has been suffering a couple of different injuries. I mean, he had a calf strain, he had a high thigh strain. It kept him out of preseason entirely. When he finally was at full fitness and full health, he had no chance really to feature for the club. So in my opinion, you know, his future right now is really precarious. He doesn't know uh, where he stands under Jesse Marsh. And, and, you know, you can't really blame Marsh for it either because he hasn't seen the player in action. Yes, Bover had his moments last year. Every preseason he seems to have these moments where he just, you know, these brilliant goals and, uh, you know, inspiring type play that would make you think, yes, this is a kid that deserves some starting minutes. But right now they don't know each other. So if anything, I think that Bover as a Red Bull uh, his career is is definitely as a Red Bull again, uh, kind of in a precarious position. He doesn't know where he's going to be, and uh, I don't know if Marsh has a place for him either. Uh, Michael Bustamante is another player that really didn't get many minutes. I know the team is high on this kid, Manalo Sanchez. Uh, he had several chances throughout the preseason to impress, and he did well. This is definitely the strength, Dan, is what we're getting at here. The strength of the midfield, uh, the strength of this team is the midfield. You do have some question marks. But it's nothing that's really crippling for the club. If the defense is able to hold up and you have the central defensive pairing of McCarty and Felipe doing their part, the offense will be able to run. My worry is when you look at that forward, at that forward core, you have four forwards mm -hmm. in that core, and that has to be a little troublesome. Oh, it, it definitely is. I mean, Bradley's a known quantity, um, he, and he took a, a tremendous amount of... Uh, 
offense to any suggestion during media day that his production was going to taper off because of Henri not being on the field anymore. Uh, you know, pointing out, I, I didn't play my whole career with Henri. It's not like I never scored goals before. You know, he, he, he I think, I think the constant chatter about that may, may be getting them a little well, bit. We were, we were waiting for that last year. We're in waiting. We're waiting for the yeah. moment where Bradley would just say, listen, I understand I'm always going to be in Henri's shadow, but I'm my own man. And it took him a while to do that. Now this is his team. Yeah. Um, but, you know, the other options at, at forward, you've got Peggy Leandula, who, you know, looked better as a attacking midfielder for the past two seasons um, and is also 35 and getting up there. And, you know, we'll see what happens. You've got journeyman Mike Grella, who won his role in, in the preseason camp. Uh, and you've got Anatoly Abang, who just signed today. So... It's definitely a little thin up front, and I, I can't realistically see this team playing with this current roster with two up front. Can you? No, and I think that that is the problem when you look at this club moving forward. Bradley Wright Phillips has to be an Iron Man the entire season for the Red Bulls to have some sort of offensive cohesion. Because let's face it, you put Louis Ndula uh, up top for the past two years with the Red Bulls. He has not been able to find the back of the net. He's been incredible when it comes to see, uh, sending the right passes and spreading the ball from the middle. Uh, being a playmaker, which is really what he has told me in the past, the, the style of play that he likes. He likes being a distributor. He likes being a creator, and he's good at it. As a forward, it just hasn't been happening here. Mike Grella, I've already seen him with the New York Cosmos as a trialist, with NYCFC as a guest player. And I don't look. He's a he's a workhorse. He's a type of player that I think, even though he didn't quite make the team under Petke, I think he is the type of player that the Petke years, the Petke era, would have loved. Just a hard nosed guy. But is that enough to produce goals? And and who is Anatolia Bang? I mean, from what I saw in preseason, there wasn't much to the kid. He's tall. He's lanky. Uh, I, I didn't necessarily see anything that would suggest to me that yes. Uh, this kid has a bright future. I don't know. Hopefully I'm proven wrong. Who knows? Uh, but to rely the entire season on a Bradley Wright Phillips in a 4-2-3-1 four, as your lone striker, uh, knowing that he's going to be the focal point for any defender and, or any group of defenders this season, it's a worry. It's an injury risk. And if he falls down, if he's out for any period of time, who fills in? It's an open question that I don't think we can answer right now. No, you can't, and and that's what that that's really the worry that I have. It, on on defense, yes, the center backs aren't quite what they were. You don't have that Alave to lead the back. From what I saw of Ronald Zubar, he's been okay. He's been passable. He looks like Alave from a distance, but can he play like him? I don't know. It's going to take one center back this year, really just one center back, and and outstanding play from McCarty and Felipe in front of the defenders to really shore up the defense. Uh, if Zubar is able to lead in the back with any kind of a partner that, that's that's willing to to play alongside him and learn and play a physical style, he'll be okay. The back will be okay, but that forward line, man, without some kind of an experienced player, somebody who would be able to fill in for Bradley Wright Phillips in a pinch, it's going to be a tough year for the club on the, in the scoring department, and that's something that we have not been used to over the last few years. Yeah, we're very used to the defense being the shaky part and the offense being pretty okay. There's a chance that both of them will be shaky in general, but we'll see. We'll see as the as the season unravels uh, where this team will be. Right now, we're finally able to look ahead and see Sporting KC on the horizon. Uh, consistently, an Eastern Conference powerhouse. They are now on the West Coast, out of the Red Bulls' hair. 
Uh, Dan, what do you see out of this opening match for the New York Red Bulls against SKC? Well, it, it's weird having that be the opener uh, because we saw it twice in quick succession at the end of the year. Yep. Um, and I feel like I've already seen this match, so I don't know that I'm, I want that to be the opener. Uh, you know, I think it'll be a good environment. I think that uh, despite whatever changes Sporting has made, because they've had a lot of players come in and a lot of players go, um, Roger Espinosa's back. They got, uh, what was it, Marcel Dijong, the Canadian defender, and uh, a bunch of other names. Um, you know, I think back to the last couple of trips that the Red Bulls have made to Sporting Park, and the results have been pretty good. Um, you know, it was the 2 nothing win uh, to close the season last year where uh, they basically spent the last 20 minutes just trying to feed Bradley a third goal so he could break the record. Um, you know, there was the game in 2013 where they uh, went up 3-1 and, and had to ride out an incredibly long stoppage time to, to pull off a shock win and start their sort of big revival towards the end of the season. Um, so I, I don't think it's as intimidating for this team as it used to be. And I also think that, you know, under Jesse and, and with all these new faces on the Red Bull side, that you don't really know what you're going to get out of that first game. So it, it's probably harder for sporting to scout the Red Bulls than vice versa. Sure. Sure. I mean, P- uh, pre- uh, Peter Vermees' team at this point, we're kind of used to the way they play. Uh, you want to talk about sophisticated style, which seems to be a buzzword amongst the Red Bulls. I think Vermees uh, invented it when it comes to uh, to Major League Soccer. He's uh, he's incredible when it comes to the technical aspect and you know player care and things of that nature. They they're top notch over there. But there is, as you said, there there is uh, there's been some changes at Sporting KC. There's no more Aurelian Collin, and I think that that kind of a personality and player in the defensive line is going to be tough to really rep- uh, to uh, to replace. Uh, one thing that will help them, as you said, is Roger Espinosa coming back. And he was, for years, he was the turnkey. He was the, the keystone in that in that defense, uh, in particular, just guarding in front of the center backs. He was fantastic, and he could spread the ball as well. Really dangerous player. If he, could, if he can duplicate the kind of success he had in the past, I mean, Sporting KC is going to be very solid and very difficult to break down in the midfield. Uh, being on the road, again, they did have some good results in the... Uh, uh, in the last couple of matches that they had at, at Sporting Park, but you know the history of the team there is not as good. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see how Jesse Marsh decides to approach this kind of a game. Look, if this were the Petke era, if this was you know what we've seen the last couple of years, we would, I I would assume that we can say that the team would have started off on a on a defensive footing and looked for the counter attack and just a very straightforward style. Jesse Marsh and Ali Curtis have preached this this sophisticated system, uh, this up-tempo game. Is that going to relate on the road? We're going to find out this weekend. And uh, before we do that, let's have us some predictions, Dan. Because you know we're good oh, at it. Oh, God. You know we're good at it. We're <laughs> so good at these predictions. That we yeah. just gotta, let's get the season off on the right foot. Uh, I will begin this and say that... New York will shock everyone with a victory this weekend. I'm going to call it 2-1 for the Red Bulls on the road. Uh, I'm going to call it two teams that are still trying to find their footing, uh, and the defense isn't quite firmed up yet, so I'm going to call it 2-2 draw. 2-2 is a good bet, definitely a good bet. <laughs> Do you, uh, let's, let's look down the calendar a little bit for the year just to... Uh, Give everybody a taste of what's coming up each month. Let's do that. Uh, right. The the week after the sporting game, they are off 
in a bye week, which is deeply frustrating, uh, since there shouldn't be bye weeks anymore with 20 teams in the league, but so be it. Uh, but they'll open at home on the 22nd against DC United. That'll be on ESPN 2, uh, 5 p.m. on Sunday. Yes, uh, always good to open with a derby match. Uh, and then they're on the road at the crew in April. Uh, most notably, they have a road game to DC on the 11th, um, and they'll host the uh, extremely overhyped LA Galaxy. I mean, defending champion LA Galaxy um, on another ESPN two match on the 26th. May brings the first uh, local rivalry match with that blue team, as Mark loves to refer to them. Uh, that'll be on the 10th at Red Bull Arena in May. And uh, they're on the road to Seattle at the end of the month. June has the reverse fixture with NYCFC at Yankee Stadium to close out the month. Um, Orlando City, that, it's weird that they don't play Orlando at all until July. Yep. Um, but the first game is middle of July in Orlando. Uh, That'll be on the 19th at the Citrus Bowl. And let's see. Looking ahead to August, there's another match against NYCFC at Red Bull Arena. Toronto FC comes to town. Uh, Josie finally makes it. Is that the first TFC match? Did I overlook one earlier? No, I don't think I did. Uh, Josie, Josie comes home. Unless and, he's a, and what happens when he comes home? That's, <laughs> that's going to be fun. What happens if he scores? Uh, that's going to be uh, my prediction right now. <laughs> if he's healthy, he's scoring. And, and as you said, there's a, there's a couple of really interesting fixtures to open up the year. D.C. United, as you said, home and away. Uh, it, that's a really great way for, for the season to start off. And, of course, NYCFC. All eyes are going to be on that franchise. All eyes are going to be on Yankee Stadium. And I look forward to that first match where I get to see the South Ward march into uh, the house that Ruth built. Or, well, Jeter. The, the, yeah, exactly. We'll go with Jeter <laughs> on that one. And, uh, and, and really, I mean, that interaction between the fan bases, it's going to be a lot of fun to watch. Because, I, Dan, you and I have spoken about it all preseason. We aren't quite sure what NYCFC fans are going to look like quite yet, but we damn well know what the South Ward can bring. So uh, seeing them march into Yankee Stadium will be a lot of fun. Uh, this season, you're seeing a lot of teams that have improved. Toronto FC, once again, looks like a team that could make the playoffs. <laughs> then you have the Columbus crew who are young and exciting, uh, really good players. They keep on bringing Argentine, so please continue with that trend. Uh, the Eastern <laughs> Conference is going to be a lot of fun this year, a lot of competition. And there's a real chance here. That and, and it's a funny way to start a rivalry, but it's, there's a real chance here that the Red Bulls and NYCFC, if you're just looking at the roster comp uh, composition and the kind of competition they have in the Eastern Conference, they could be fighting for that final playoff spot this year. Uh, we'll see. I mean, I know everybody is dropping their predictions for the year piece right now. Um, lots of people writing the Red Bulls off, lots of people writing NYCFC off because it is their first year and expansion teams normally need a year to uh, get their act together. Yep. Um, it, it's going to be a fascinating year across MLS regardless. I mean, you look out West, this, you know, everybody claims that the West is the better conference, but you know, no matter who makes the playoffs, there's going to be some good teams missing. And I think that's true in the East as well. So uh, it, it's definitely going to be interesting. The, uh, the only date on the calendar that I've really got circled uh, beyond the, all the rivalry matches with DC and NYCFC is September 20th, road game at Portland. Can't miss it. 
Can't miss that Portland game. If you're sending me pictures <laughs> from the food carts in Portland, you know I'm going to. I you am going, going to flip out. I, I'm going to have to join you because there's no better town than Portland. Excuse me for saying that, New York. I love you guys, but <laughs> my God, Portland! How I, it's it's the '90s, as they say on uh, on Portlandia. The '90s live and thrive in Portland, and I love it. I love it. I have to go back. Uh, we maybe we'll do a seeing red on the road. That would be awesome. And and with that thought, let's move on to Jesse Marsh, ladies and gentlemen. The coach has a lot of good things to say, lots of insights, and he's here for the first time on Seeing Red. So stick around for the second half. Seeing Red on back heel. Dave Martinez, Dan Dickinson, stay there. You're listening to Seeing Red with Mark Fishkin, Dave Martinez, and Dan Dickinson. Seeing Red, the New York Soccer Roundup here on Back Hill, and we have a very special guest this week. Uh, for the first time on the show, we are talking to Jesse March, the brand new coach of the New York Red Bulls, who is uh, taking control over the past month, and uh, we've definitely seen some changes in the team. Jesse, how are you, sir? Good, good. How are you guys? We're doing great. We're doing excellent. Uh, it's It's been... An interesting couple of months, I'm sure, for you. Uh, your first interaction with the fans this past January was a successful one for yourself, but I wouldn't necessarily label it a love fest. And here we are, just a few weeks later, and you're being cheered by the Red Bull faithful at a season ticket holder gathering. Uh, looking back at this past month, I mean, this, these past two months, really, this roller coaster couple of months, uh, talk a little bit about the acclimation process for you, coming into the Red Bulls under so much pressure and uh, really settling in. Yeah, um, you know, first, uh, the, ch- the opportunity to coach a club like this, um, I-, I think is, is one of privilege. And, and I, and I really treated it that way from day one. And, um, you know, I'm, I've been excited about it. You know, I've had some time off, so I've been charged up and, and I thought a lot about it, how I want to, you know, start to implement things once I got in, found my next job. Um, you know, I think I'm very lucky as well to inherit a great group of players. Um, you know, and, and I've said um, numerous times that, that even as much as I watched this team a lot the last two years, I think that the talent that I've inherited is, is exceeded my expectations. Um, and, and then, you know, I mean, yeah, there's been a lot of, uh, charged people with, uh, charged energy with, with what the change has meant for fans and for different people, but, you know, I, I always felt like the fact that people cared so much was a good thing. And, uh, you know, I think that once they get to know me and get to know how I coach and, and, and see the, see the team that, that we put on the field, I, I think that it's only a matter of time before, you know, they, they get to feel strongly about me and, and the team and what we're doing here. And ultimately that's what matters to me. Uh, you know, I mean, people, people will like, some people will like me, some people won't like me. But uh, I think they'll like, like this team and this group of guys and how they play for each other. So that's my emphasis every day, and that's my focus. And I think if, you, if we can do that right, and if I do that right, then, then the rest of it will take care of itself. So it's actually been a lot of fun. And even the, the town hall meeting, as much as it was uh, you know, a lot of things flying around, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed the chance for people to get to know me, to hear what I have to say. I got to hear what people think. And in the end, I always feel like you have to put things on the table with any relationship so that everybody understands where everybody's coming from, and then we move forward. Jesse, you know, we're finally at the end of preseason. You guys have made two trips down to Florida, had a bunch of games, had, had plenty of time to get, you know, the, the group together. 
what have you seen coming out of preseason, and, and more importantly, how have the players been picking up the system that you want to roll out? Uh, I think it's been fantastic six weeks. Um, uh, I've been impressed with uh, the level of commitment to to what we're doing from each guy and, and, again, the commitment that they've had to each other. And it's something that I've demanded out of them every day, but, but they've responded in, in ways that I would have never thought we'd be able to achieve in six weeks. So from a team camaraderie, from a unity perspective, uh, I think we're in a really good place, and I know that's going to be actually a big strength of ours this year. And then we have implemented some new tactics, some new soccer, some new ideas, um, and and the team is intelligent. And so they've, they've understood what we're trying to do. They understand why we're trying to do it. I think we've put together a good player pool. Uh, again, I, I don't uh, because the team has been been quite good. Uh, I don't think I had to make huge changes, and that's been one of my messages. Is I'm not here to take things 180 degrees and, and change everything. I'm just here to to take a, a big club like this and help it now from every level level be more organized, be more cohesive, and now fit and and function in ways that that makes everyone better. And specifically now, the team better. So, you know, that's been a lot of the process. It's been an enjoyable one. It's been a laborious one. But I think that people understand what we're trying to do and, and Ollie and I and how we're trying to put things in place. And because they can see it, because they think it makes sense, I think they want to attach themselves to it. So that part's been good. Yeah, uh, Jesse, up to this point, you have uh, been able to bring in some familiar faces to help bolster uh your message to the club and to try to get people familiar with your style. But I want to also focus on, as you said, the core player group that you have inherited. Uh, you have the Lloyd Sams, Luis Robles, Dax McCarty, Bradley Wright Phillips. Each one of them at one point or another this preseason has worn the captain's armband. Each one of them continues yeah. to be an integral part of the club. Is there any one player in particular that has really impressed you since you've come on board? I mean, I think they. I think all those names you've just mentioned have, and I'll, I'll, I'll quickly go through why. Bradley, for being a superstar and a big-time goal scorer, is one of the most humble, hardworking players I've ever been around. Uh, Lloyd Sam is is got a level of craftiness and and cleverness, and he he finds a way to long foot defenders every time he touches the ball. And his soccer also of like understanding the rhythm and. And uh, combinations is very good, and I think that his personality has meant that he's he's all in with this, and and so I I think he's been really good. Luis is such a steady hand, you know, he's such a a calming presence and a calming leader, and that's a great thing to have in a goalie. And I think it really uh, really penetrates in uh, our entire defense to to have a guy like that. And then you know, Bass I think for me is 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 like a complete guy. He's He's competitive, he gets the big picture, he's smart in the middle of the field, he's a good passer, he's hard to play against. Um, you know, so for me, Bass uh, has so many good qualities, and, and I think that he can get even better. So I'm excited to work with him. And then the other guy, you know, I mean, I, I'd include Roy Miller in that because I think Roy's been uh, very good and, and he's very smart. He's just such a clean left back. He makes so few mistakes and understands how we want to play. And then guys like, you know, Chris Duvall for me has been fantastic. Uh, and I think he's going to fit how we do things. And then uh, uh, even Matt Miazka, I think, has a, has a big upside. And, and one of my goals this year is to help him establish himself as, as one of the premier center backs uh, in our country. So, um, again, I, I think there's a lot to work with here. 
with all of those great talents, have you made your mind up about who's going to wear the captain's armband yet? Um, you know, it's actually uh, something that we're going to speak with the team about tomorrow. Um, you know, and, and the, the reason that I, I kind of shared it with a lot of different people is because, you know, there's, there's been some big players that have left this club. And, and now a lot of them were big leaders. And, and I think that, but at the same time, I think a lot of these guys all had a lot of leadership quality too, and have been begging for the opportunity to, to be more. And so, you know, that's what, that's one of the things that I'm demanding of these guys is that they don't just show up, train hard and then go home, that they think about this more from a, a global perspective and make sure that in every way they've got their fingers on the pulse of who we are and what we're doing. Um, so, you know, I mean, it, the, the, Whoever's the captain, I think, is obviously an important role within the team. But I think we have a, you know, a, a, a quite a few leaders in the group that that I think can can help lead this thing as we go. So uh, the Jeff, answer is you're not. I'm not. I I know, but I'm not telling you. <laughs> right, that's very fair. So hopefully, fair as, we, as we build this relationship, Jesse, we'll be able to break some more news yeah. on the show. Okay. Okay, Just, good, let's, uh, good. We've talked about the people that are already that have been already on the club for the last several years. You have some quality guys there. Let's talk about the incoming players. And I, I'm not just going to go straight to Sasha. I kind of want to go right to the back. Uh, the back line, okay. you're looking at, at Hymas and Alave's gone. Uh, no matter what coach is going to be here, uh, having a, a player like that, a rock, a solid rock center back like that, and losing them, it, it's a tough, tough fill for any club. And uh, you have some new faces uh, on the defensive line who are all vying for that position. As of right now, I mean, every team seems to always have that one center back to build off of. So who are we looking at this year? Is it who's going to be the standout? Is it is it Zubar? Is it Perinel? Uh We met just uh, just signed up today. Uh, talk a little bit about the new guys coming in, especially in particular on defense. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, you're right. I mean, obviously, when I looked at the roster when I first got here, there, you know, now we needed to figure out what we were going to do at center back. Um, we didn't have a lot of time to make a decision, but Ronald Zubar entered our radar uh, very early, and and you know, we tried to do uh, a lot of homework in terms of watching video, uh, going to visit with him, going to watch him train, um, you know, and and speaking with him on multiple occasions to get to know him because I think when we watched him, we thought that. There were a lot of good qualities that would fit not only our league, but how we want to play. So you ask me who our focal point of our defense is going to be, it's going to be Ronald Zubak. And I think that um, he, he fits the league in terms of his physical qualities and, and you know, his, his foot speed, his aerial, aerial ability, and uh, some of his physicality and strength and, and, and power. But, but he's also a footballer. He's a smart guy. And... You know, that was what, one of the things that really excited me when I started talking to him is that he was very cerebral in how he thought about the game and how he thought about the position. And, you know, he, he's even so much so that in his career he's played, you know, left center back, right center back, right back, defensive midfield. So he's a guy that has versatility, but still I think he, he knows his, his best position is center back and, and he's really uh, carefully thought about how he fits in here, how we want to be who he wants to be, and, and then, you know, the kind of leader is going to be from the back. So we're really excited about him. Um, and then, you know, I think all the other names you mentioned, including Andrew Baptiste uh, and Matt Miazka, have all had very good preseasons with us, and I have very high hopes for all five center backs um, and, and for actually to be a position of strength for us moving forward. 
So, um, you know, we knew we needed to address it, and I think we have done that really well with some veteran guys and then some young guys uh, ready to also help establish themselves. Jesse, when did you first become aware of Zubar? I mean, literally, it was, I mean, it, it was probably the day I, I was announced where Ollie and I started going to players. And, you know, I mean, again, we both entered this picture late, and there wasn't a lot of preparation done to help move this team into the, net, the, the, new, the new season. So, you know, we had uh, a lot of, there was a lot of work. It was, all, you know, there was a lot thrown on our plate early on. So, you know, uh, but, but I think that Ollie, from his time in the league office, had relationships with certain agents in Europe. And Ronald came on our radar very early, and, and we started watching very early. Uh, so, you know, I, 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 I'm, I'm very pleased with how he's fit in and, and what he's looked like so far. Jesse, there was a, a press release from the club today that, you know, as Dave mentioned, Carl met has signed, uh, Anatoly, Sean McLaws. Um, but there were a couple of trialists that were in camp that there wasn't an announcement about, particularly uh, Dane Richards and John Kennedy Hurtado. Can you give us an update on what's going on with either of them? Yeah, John Kennedy Hurtado will not be with us uh, this year. Um, you know, I thought he, he, he did all right with us in preseason, but but given the, the group we had, we felt like we had some young guys who were, who were doing well, so we decided uh, to go in a different direction there. And then Dane, we're still, we're still figuring that one out a little bit. And, you know, the good thing is now that the CBA has, uh, has been agreed upon, that there's more clarity for, for all teams to know what rosters and salary caps and everything's going to look like. So it's been hard to increase this preseason to add certain pieces without knowing exactly where you were going to stand from a CBA perspective. So I'm hopeful that, uh, you know, with Dane, we can come to a resolution uh, soon. So we'll, we'll see how, how that one plays out. Talk a little bit about the CBA. Uh, it, get, it got really close, Jesse. I mean, anybody you've spoken to, uh, most reports coming out, it got very close to a strike. And, and here the players are with an improved deal. I mean, you're, a, you're an MLS lifer. You know the struggles of the MLS players, and you've also been a part of the executive side of Major League Soccer. So who else to ask for a well-rounded view of the CBA but you? Uh, give us your, uh, your take on, on what's going on, on the deal that was reached, and, uh, and what it means to Major League Soccer. Yeah, it's interesting because I was a significant player in the Players Association uh, years ago. So that was our first attempt was to, to go through the legal system to try and negotiate a, a deal with the, with the MLS. Um, that didn't work. Then we formed a union. Um, you know, obviously there's been a few CBAs now as we've gone through. It's never easy. You know, it's never easy. And, and with any negotiation, I think it's always important that, they, that people walk away feeling respect from both sides. And, you know, I mean, nobody's going to get everything that they want. I think that the, the good thing for me uh, on this time around is I felt like a lot of the leadership from the player side uh, were steady hands and smart guys. I know, like, with Luis and Dax, you know, I, I, I never talked details with them about what was going on, but, but I know with their personalities and, and, and with their thought process, but they were going to be able to systematically think through this and do what was right for, for them, for the player group. Um, you know, so it sounds like, um, even though it was not easy and very difficult at times, that it, it, it was never contentious and that, you know, that now we've come to a, a, an important resolution and, and that 
you know, it's it's hopefully a springboard for this thing to continue to grow and for, you know, I mean, and still for players to be able to benefit from all the success of, of and growth that this league had. So, I mean, certainly we're all very happy that there's no strike and that they're, you know, that we're going to move ahead now with the season and there's a bit of relief. But, but again, I, I you know, I, I want this, this, this thing is growing, you know, and I think everybody feels the positive energy and the excitement of, of what's happening with the sport in our country. And so I think that it's important that the players benefit from that as well. Jesse, getting back to, uh, you, you had mentioned figuring things out with Dane now that the CBA is done. Um, there were a couple names that people expected in camp that weren't, uh, most notably Armando and uh, Stefan Bonomo from the draft. Bonomo seems to be backpacking around Europe looking to pick up trials, and I think everybody's yeah. been uh, enjoying Armando's Instagram skills over the last couple of weeks. Can you, can you speak to what's going on okay. with both of them? Well, Armando will not be back with our club. Um, uh, they're, they're, you know, so we've had uh, uh, different discussions there, and we wish him luck in the future. Stefano um, you know, is, a, is a player that I knew from when I was with the national team, and I would go in with the youth national team. And, and we had good discussions at the, at the combine, and you know, we wound up seeing that when he was still on the board for our pick, that, that he was a guy that, that we would want to you know, really take a look at. Then it comes out afterward that, that he, uh, he, you know, wants to go on trial in Europe. So he wasn't completely straight with us. But in the end, I mean, that's every player's right is to try and pursue, uh, different opportunities. Um, you know, we're, we'll see what happens with that. I think that there'll always still be an opportunity for him to come train with us and, and see if it could fit possibly for the future. I do think he has potential to, to establish himself and I think he's a talented player, but, um, you know, right now he's not with us, so we'll we'll, we'll see. They're, they're, that, I don't think that story is quite finished yet. Going, moving on from trialists onto the the big one, of course, is designated players. You're always going to be asked about it. Uh, this is New York yeah. City, after all, and uh, you know, star players have been a big part of the fabric of this club for years, regardless of who's been in management. Uh, give us a stance of the new Red Bull brass when it comes to. Uh, hiring designated players and bringing them on board. What is what does a DP mean to you? Well, I, I I think first of all that we're making a shift here. Okay, I know in the past it has been about sort of the one or two or three players within the player pool that define what the team is, and that's fine. But that's not how we're going to move forward. Uh, we're going to move forward in a way where. Um, we're going to build a team and, and a group of guys that are committed to each other, committed to the process of what being a team means and making sure that on all levels, uh, it's an, you know, it's, it's a group that commits themselves to each other every day. And so far it's been great. And I'm very impressed with everything from the quality of our players to their commitment to each other, to their leadership qualities, to their talent. So right now, I gotta tell you, I'm really excited about this group and the potential uh, for who we can become. Um, you know, we we yes, we have built this with a little room to make to make some changes and some improvements if need if need be down the road. But it's not for me moving forward. It's it's honestly not going to be about whether he's a DP or not. It's going to be about what players fit into who we are and what we want to become and how we play. And yeah, I mean, certainly the ability to find uh, impactful players is really important. But but again, it's it's not about names. It's not about DP, non-DP. It's it's literally about finding the right fit. 
And right now, we have a lot of fits. We have a lot of guys that fit who we are and, and how we want to play. And, and, and again, when, when, you, when you start to add it, you have to do it cautiously and carefully so that you're only, you're only making things better. And that's from a soccer perspective, from a mentality perspective, leadership perspective. So, you know, that's, that's, how, that's how we're doing things. Jesse, looking looking ahead in the season, one of the sore points that seems to always come up at some point during the year with this club is the Open Cup. Uh, big history of these sort of historic failures, particularly last year's 3 nothing loss to the Cosmos. But I, I know you've won the Cup a number of times with Chicago. I think it's three times. How do you feel about it as a competition, and where does it fit into your priorities for the year? Yeah, you know, I, I've won four Open Cups in my career, so I value it greatly. Um, I, I, I think once you win that tournament you you uh you know how how good of a feeling it is and how important it is so uh i'll tell you from the start that for me it means a lot and already the dialogue with the leaders within our team are that they they think it means a lot so you know i mean i, I this is this is gonna we're gonna make a, a strong emphasis to handle that tournament the right way and to put good teams on the field and and make sure that we're ready to compete and and you know, it's it's a in five games, four or five games, depending on the draw and whatnot. You can win a you can win a title. You know, you can win a trophy. So uh, I, I think you're going to see a group of players that I mean, yeah, it's 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 my emphasis and mentality. But I, I think what's even better is that I think the players get it. And again, we're, the the shift now in, in the player pool and the mentality, everything has meant that you know it's a little bit more relatable and. To, and applicable to what MLS is and what U.S. soccer is. Okay, this, maybe this this player pool has been very international in the past and been heavily weighted by international talent. And I think that we still have a really good mix of that. But there's a lot of American leaders within the within the team now that understand exactly what MLS is. And part of that is pride in the Open Cup. So you've uh, you've been on the show, let's say, almost 20 minutes now. So let, let's uh, thank you so much for the time, and we're going to try to wrap this up a little bit. How are you settling into uh, New York City now? It, it, I mean, you were here previously working with uh, the MLS League offices. Uh, yeah. Is, is the process going well for you? Uh, how are you enjoying it thus far? It's great, man. It's great. The fans are great. They're passionate. Uh, you know, I, I, I mean, New York City has so much energy and um, you know, I think that even with New York City FC coming in, there's a lot of attention going on there. But I still feel like Red Bulls is, is New York's team, New York soccer team. Um, you know, and I, and I think that once we get it right here and once we win a championship, you know, then we'll, then we'll feel like, man, this has been such a unique, special experience. Because I think being successful in New York means means more than being successful anywhere else. So... Um, I'm motivated in such a big way to to turn the tides here, you know, to to now take all the good things that this club is about, and all the resources of the club, and all the good people that have put a lot of, lot into it over the years, a lot of the good people that are still here, and now turn it into a winner. Um, and what, again, once we do, man, it's going to be unreal. It's going to be unreal. So that's that's what that's what wakes me up every day and gets me going, and and. And I'm excited for, you know, everyone to come along for the ride. That's quite a vision, uh, Jesse. Well, Jesse Marsh, thank you so much for being on the show. Uh, we really appreciate it. Hope to have you on 
uh, as the season goes on, and uh, best of luck to you in the club uh, as you as you compete. Awesome. You're listening guys. to Seeing Red with Seeing Mark Red Fishkin, Dave Martinez, and Dan Dickinson. Seeing Red, Dan Dickinson, Dave Martinez. Ooh, that felt good. Uh, your emails. We had a, a number of them in the inbox. Dave, you want to just dive in? Uh, what am I going to dive in with other than I'm super happy to see the amount of emails that have come in this week. They're really, <laughs> I mean, really insightful stuff. Uh, Red Bull fans bring it each and every week. Passionate guys and gals out there. So I'm, I'm just interested to hear what they have to say. All right. Let's get into it. Let's get Andrew on. Barnacle writes, hey, guys. It's definitely going to be an interesting one, especially with the new players we've brought in. I have faith that Marsh will do well, though. He's there for a reason, right? I think Miazga has a breakout year this year, and Grella is going to complement BWP nicely. The center backs will be the place to watch again, and I'm very excited to see how Felipe fits into the scheme for Montreal. For Montreal? Uh, <laughs> it may not be the shield right yet, but I can see a playoff run coming at the end of the year. Keep up the good work, Andrew. Andrew's uh, in, uh, in mid-season form, clearly. Yeah, well, you know. This is the Montreal podcast, right? Yeah, no, I'm, sure, I'm kidding. Sure. But, you know, Andrew mentioned uh, it may not be the shield right yet, but I can see a playoff run coming. Dave, what do you think is the right expectation to have for the end of this year, especially after all of this change? There's been a lot of change, Dan, but I, I still think that the core of the club is quite good. I think that they're one center back really away, and if it's Ronald Zubar, then they're okay, but they're one center back away from really being a competitor. Look at this team up the gut. You have uh, Luis Robles. If, if Zubar lives up to billing, then you have Zubar in the back line. Uh, move up down, move up uh, the middle, you have Dax McCarty and Felipe, Sasha Kleschen leading into Bradley Wright Phillips. That's a strong lineup. Sam on the side, Zizo on the other. That's a strong, strong lineup. The problem here, Dan, is the drop-off in talent thereafter. Uh, you're going to have to be relying on these. They've been impressive in preseason, but you're going to have to rely on these rookies. You're going to have to rely on Stolz and Davis to come in and pinch and, and really work their magic for the club. And, and, and Anatolia Bang is going to have to show something because eventually Bradley Wright Phillips won't be able to play every single game. So who's it going to be? Louis Ndula? Louis Ndula alone will not be able to get it done. Uh, Mike Grella? Grella is, is a risk. Anatolia Bang is a rookie with tons of upside, but really an unknown quantity. That's where the club suffers. If they could stay healthy, you're looking at a playoff competitor. If they cannot, they're going to have to bolster the lineup come uh, the roster. Excuse me, come this this summer, and pick up some some quality talent that'll back up. One person who could really solve things, Dan, is uh, Dane Richards. If they're able to finally sign off on Dane Richards, make a deal with Vancouver to to take his rights on and and pay him the proper salary, that can be a huge help. Because as you know, we've seen it in the past. The minute Sam goes down, the minute the club loses Sam, there's nobody on the bench that could take his place. Yeah, he, he definitely had that injury issue uh, was that 2012, right after yep. he joined. And uh, you, there, there definitely needs to be some depth on the right wing. But uh, going into our next letter, Dave, somebody disagrees with you. Oh, boy, uh, that's, that's a first. Paul Vernick writes, seeing red, I would say that the majority of Red Bulls fans will have a grim version of this year, but I don't. These Toros Rojos will tear it up this year, ending in third place because of one reason and one re- only one reason. Only heart. I totally butchered that. They will believe they will win. The starting 11 will make a masterpiece of what is known as the field. The obvious start of the season is BWP, who is going to put 23 balls in the back of the net. While question if Felipe and McCarty will compose the greatest midfield ever seen in the MLS. While the obvious Achilles heel will be the defense. They will not be anything special, but they will get the job done. 
There will still be Red Bull out at the end of the season and into the MLS Cup. You heard me right, we are going to the Cup. Being optimistic, I should say that we will win it, but nothing comes for free. We want the Cup. We want the Cup now. Paul Vernick, hashtag Angry Canadians. I love Paul. <laughs> I, I love Paul. I think he's auditioning to be the uh, the next Red Bull Optimist, so RBNY Optimist. Yeah, uh, send your resume to EOS. Um, it's an interesting take. Uh, look, I, you're looking at it from the periphery, and yes, the defense is a huge question mark. Uh, we've said that many times, and it's going to hinge on Zubar. Uh, from there, yes, those are great players, but again, I go back to what I said earlier, Dan. Where's the depth? That's a it's a good question. <laughs> definitely not. Uh, th- this is going to this is going to be your your version of where's the beef, right? Um, yeah, I think uh, I think we're gonna, this is going to be a running theme for quite some time until well, New York actually invests in some players that'll be able to uh, to back these guys up. And you know, Wright Phillips cannot do it alone. The center backs, you have some journeymen back there. You have some unproven commodities. Uh, there's definitely reason to worry there. And the midfield's strong. Uh, you have a couple of heroes on either side of that midfield, and you have a playoff contender. Indeed. Moving on. College man Nick Abbott writes, Hey, guys. Ooh. I'm really looking forward to the show tonight and to the season starting on time. If you're taking mailing questions for the interview with Jesse, I'd love to hear an answer to the following or any of your thoughts as well. Last year, following the team's switch to a new formation, the Red Bulls played a somewhat asymmetrical shape in which Thierry Henry played in a narrow, quote-unquote, inverted position on the left. Given the dearth of options on the left side, are you inclined to simply start a player like Sasha Kleschen, Felipe, or Leah Stoltz, who naturally plays in the middle and will drift in from the touchline? Or would you prefer a natural, natural wigger like Salzizo to give stretch the width of the field? In a similar vein, at left back, if Rory Miller gets injured or is away on national team duty, are you more likely to replace him with a natural center back like Carl Uemet or with a traditional fullback like Connor Wade? Thanks, and I can't wait to listen to the show. Interesting question. Mm. Interesting question, and it goes back to what can we expect from Jesse Marsh, right? Uh, with Petke's style, uh, you can talk about an inverted position, but really, that's just Henri being Henri. Henri is comfortable on that side of the of the field, and he's smart enough to place himself where he needs to be. Uh, if it was a Petke system without Thierry Henri, you best believe it would be two wingers going back and forth up and down the field, and two fullbacks going back and forth up and down the field. It's a very straightaway style, which is not what Marsh is promising. I think what we're going to be looking at here uh, is a really interchangeable offense, with Dax McCarty and Felipe shielding off the defenders, while the other four players I mean, mix and match. There's going to be times where you see Lloyd Sam shift over to the left. There's going to be times where uh, Sal Zizo, if he's the right guy, uh, will shift to the right. I mean... Uh, Sasha Kleschen will have control of a lot of the offense in the middle, and Bradley Wright Phillips is the beneficiary of all of that movement. That's going to be the biggest difference, at least from what we've seen in preseason, and at least from what we've been told. Uh, those are the differences you will see this year. And it's not that far off, Dan, from what Petke originally wanted to do when he first got on the team. He was talking about a 4-3-3, giving free reign to Juninho, Tim Cahill, Thierry Henry, uh, Fabiana Spindola at the time. Uh, all veteran players capable of doing the same exact job. It didn't quite work out. Uh, here's Jesse Marsh with a very similar idea from that first, you know, real blueprint from the Petke era. And he's going to try to enact it in the same exact way. Whether or not it works out is a big question mark. I'm a big fan of having two wingers just consistently stretching a midfield and opening up space for the, for the midfielders to do their job. 
uh, Marsh doesn't look at it that way. So you're going to see uh, a bit more creativity, sophistication, as he likes to say. Ooh. Yeah, sophistication <laughs> in the midfield. And uh, I, I can't wait to actually see what that sophistication is all about. I, I think you're definitely right about the, the interchanging parts. I, I think you'll see a, a less rigid uh, tendency towards the, the two of Dax and Felipe necessarily just providing cover for the back four. I think Felipe is going to be able to drift forward a little bit more, a, a little bit uh, more similar to maybe 2013 where you had Dax and Cahill when they were both firing on all cylinders yep. interchanging back and forth. So I think Felipe will drift up. I think you'll see the wingers um, pinch in more regularly and you know sometimes it may start to look like a 4-3-3 um, rather than a 4-5-1 or a 4-2-3-1 or anything like that. Um, but we'll see. It, the, the proof will be in what shows up on the field. And, and that's one of the things that Marsh was saying, right? I mean, he's talking about 4-2-3-1 as a base, but we have seen him employ the 4-4-2 in the past. We've seen him employ a 4-3-3. And I, I think, again, going back to the sophistication angle, uh, that's what he's going to be preaching. You know, being able to, to interchange on the field, to be able to uh, combat what's going on on the other side. What we've seen the last couple of years has been a team that has been focused on being blue-collar, run you to the ground, outlast you uh, until you can't be lasted anymore. I mean, this is what the Red Bulls did. They would run you into the ground. Uh, this time around, with this regime, it's going to be different. It's going to be a... Uh, it's going to be a, more of a chess match than, than just a straight barrage. And uh, at least that's what's been promised. And I, I look forward to seeing how Jesse Marsh actually enacts that on the field because uh, it, it's different from what we've seen over the past few years. I'm not just talking about Petke, but under the Baca era as well. Mm, definitely. Moving on, uh, Christian Mendoza. Hey, guys. Long-time listener, first time. You know the drill. I'm just wondering what you guys think of our preseason. It seemed a bit middling to me. Anything you think was a valuable takeaway? And I'm sure you'll get into it into the show, but what do you make of the captaincy vacancy? Will we have a captain sex god in our future? I, I should note for people who don't know Christian, yes, yes. Um, Dax McCarty is the sex god. Uh, lastly, I have a question for Mr. Marsh. Given our successes these past two years with the Shield playoff runs and appearance in the Eastern Conference Final and our first at-home playoff win at Red Bull Arena, what does he believe should be the standard of success we hold him to? What do you guys think would be a successful year for us? Looking forward to the discussion tonight, Christian Mendoza. So let's, let's uh, break that apart bit by bit. Uh, preseason we talked about in the first segment. Uh, you know, I'm going to go back to something I said on, on Twitter a couple of weeks ago. You know, winning big in preseason doesn't make you Real Madrid, and losing big in preseason doesn't make you Chivas USA. Uh, very hard to take anything significant away from it, but that's just me. How about very, you? Very well put. Uh, captaincy vacancy Who, I know Jesse said that he uh, they were going to talk about it with the players tomorrow and uh, he was just holding out on us tonight but if, if you could pick Dave who, who would be your captain for the season it's tough to say uh, on a seeing red uh, bias I would, I would definitely have to look at Dax McCarty, uh, Luis Robles <laughs> I mean those two guys have been on the show and have shared such insane stories I mean they've been so good to us that I would have to have a bias there. And you can include Lloyd Sam as well. What mm -hmm. I think has been pretty br uh, brilliant on Marsh's side this preseason is being able to reward that captaincy to so many different players, so many existing players, players that have really gone through uh, wars with this club the past few years. Uh, I think Lloyd Sam in particular was so delighted in a preseason match to wear the armband it's a significant step by Marsh in ingratiating uh, the former core and bringing him into this new system. Having said all of that, 
uh, I, I think a clear-cut uh, captain, and he's done it in the past with DC, it would be Dax McCarty. He's, he's in the middle of it all. Uh, he's loud when he has to be. He's taken on a bit of that gruff Thierry Henry personality on the field where he's not going to take any uh, guff. <laughs> he's, uh, we've seen him yelling at players when he's needed to. We've seen him uh, console players when they've been down. Uh, all of that tells me McCarty would be an ideal captain for this club. Uh, I I completely agree that Dax would be ideal. Um, I think he's got a lot of those qualities you say, but for me, you know, my fear, especially watching this club over the last few years, as Henri's got the armband, is what what happens if your captain blows his top? Because that that sets a very bad standard on the field. Um, can can easily make a, a bad situation escalate to be so much worse. And so for me, you know, I look at Dax and I can think of games where he's, you know, gotten pretty livid and, and justifiably so and bad sure, officiating sure. or whatever else. Um, Lloyd Sam, you know, I, I love Lloyd, but I think back to that stupid red card he got in that Philly game a couple of years ago, at, which was just completely unnecessary. And so I would actually give it to Luis. Um, I think he's very level-headed. I think he can get fired up when he needs to, but in a in a in the right sort of controlled way that you want out of the captain. And, and there's a certain quiet confidence to Luis. I mean, yeah. the, way, the way that he speaks is so matter of fact. Uh, the life experiences that he's had, he's uh, he's traveled Europe. He's suffered the lowest of lows and is on the current highest of highs. I mean, that's a that's an excellent pick. Uh, I I would just prefer in these instances. And Luis is great. Don't get me wrong. I, I would prefer for the captaincy a, a field player, but that's my bias. Uh, either one of them is a fantastic pick. Dax is a is a natural leader. Luis Robles commands respect, and uh, and that itself is uh, for me a huge definition of what it means to be a captain. Definitely. All right, last email, and uh, and Mark, if you're listening, try not to roll your eyes too much. Uh-oh. Jason Goldman writes, "Hey guys, welcome back." I've been a longtime Red Bull supporter, and to be honest, I really don't know how to treat the blue team next season. Should us Red Bull supporters like them? Hate them? I really don't know just what to think of the Man City wannabes next door. <laughs> Love the show. Keep up the good work. So, Dave, how should Red Bull fans <laughs> treat, treat the team and the fans across the river? I think it's tough for me to answer because I look at the Philadelphia Union, right? They come into the league, and they're the ideal when you're talking city-to-city rivalry, they're ideal for New York. But Red Bull fans have been almost standoffish to the idea that they could ever be a rival. And, and to be fair, the Union have done nothing other than piss off Thierry Henry here and there. They've really done nothing to uh, to support the idea of becoming a big rival. NYCFCFCFCFCFCFCFC? It's so late, dude. NYCFC is a different story. I mean, you're talking about uh, Cross River fighting for the same territory. Uh, this is a team you have to, again, if you're a Red Bull fan and if you're an NYCFC fan, you got to hate each other. I mean, this is, this is a season where the beginning of the fight for New York City begins. How can you have a fight in New York City without showing a, a bit of disdain for the people trying to take your spot? That's what it's going to boil down to. And, and what you're going to see this year is going to be interesting. The Red Bulls who have taken a more uh, cost-effective approach to their roster building against basically what the Red Bulls have been for years, which is going to be NYCFC's freewheeling spending. They haven't quite done that. To their credit, Jason Kreis has kept things under budget, bought in the right MLS-style, MLS-caliber players on his roster, uh, sprinkled in with the right de- uh, designated players. But how long that lasts, who knows? You know, I think that with ownership like Manchester City and the Yankees, two organizations that demand winning and respect immediately, 
that could change over the course of one summer window. Um, so there's plenty of reasons for Red Bull fans to dislike NYCFC already. Uh, it's going to get even worse as the season goes on. So to me, uh, this is an organization that if you're a Red Bull fan from the very start, no history against them or what have you, there still has to be, due to the stakes at hand, uh, a pretty measurable amount of hatred uh, for this brand new club. Yeah, I think I, Mark I, would agree with that too. I, I think he would. I can't even uh, say the name. Knowing Mark that, <laughs> that that other club. Yes, that club. I'm, I'm even, sure he's shaking. Think, I'm sure he's shaking his fist as I pop sure, right I can I'm pretty sure he can't even call them the blue team anymore. Doesn't even. He's not going to even wear blue the rest of the year. He's like, ah, I'm not going to do this. Probably and not. That's the way you should be. And I think, in fairness, you know, it's perfectly reasonable to have a hatred of the team um, at this point, just in the theoretical sense. And it's been a lot of talk on Twitter. God knows I see too much of it every day. Um, you know, it's, it's a lot of tough talk because nothing's happened yet that, that can actually develop into a rivalry. And if you talk to the players, not just from the Red Bulls, but also from NYCFC, you know, there, there's a sort of agreement that, you know, yeah, we've got to build it into a rivalry. The rivalry just doesn't happen because the team's necessarily here. Now, fans from one side can lob stuff at the other one all the time because there is a natural tension that comes just from two teams being in the market. Sure. But I think that once the games actually start happening, um, the rivalry will actually develop into something real. You know, One of the things that, that I've always loved about MLS is the, the actual rivalry matches are rivalry matches because the, the players on the field generally don't like each other. You look at the, the old D.C. and New York matches you know, back in the day, a little less so recently, and, and there was real bad blood there. You look at any time Seattle plays Portland at this point, and it's not just that you know, they've got tons of fans in Cascadia and they all show up and they do these magnificent TIFOs or whatever, but there's normally a couple of fights on the field during sure. those games. And if that intensity comes out in these derby matches then this will actually be a rivalry and it will feel like one and we can finally stop getting away from you know people sniping at each other on Twitter all day. I, I, <laughs> the only thing that I hope in the short term is I hope that Red Bulls fans can understand as people who quite frequently don't like their own club very much as we've seen over the last two months can, can understand that maybe there are reasons to not pick the club that's been here for 20 years because you know, it, it's not necessarily a given for everyone. Sometimes teams just don't click. And similarly, I wish that the NYCFC fans would stop this, you know, ridiculous campaign that I think Red Bull fans have heard more times than anybody. Oh, they're not an NYC, so they're not an NYC team. Because it's just, it's ridiculous. It, the geography is, I'm, I'm going to get ranting if I keep going. But no, 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 it's I, not a hope... thing. I think the geography is very important, though. I mean, if you're going to be, look... If you're going to be an NYCFC fan and you're trying to combat 20 years of New York Red Bull fandom, you're going to use any weapon you could possibly get. And the main reason they were bought on board is because they are supposed to be New York proper's team, right? So that is a weapon that they'll be able to use against the Red Bull fans forever. It's going to last forever. New York, the Red Bulls are going to be in Harrison for the foreseeable future. Uh, NYCFC is most likely going to be looking for a new home next year. But they are in New York proper. So for one year, at the very least, they'll be able to, uh, to hang that over Red Bull fans' heads. But on the other side of the spectrum, Dan... You know Red Bull fans. I know Red Bull fans. We hang out with you guys constantly. We see you guys constantly. <laughs> we know what you're all about. And when you're talking about whether or not you should hate NYCFC, I think that the NYCFC fans themselves 
bring about all types of feelings that current Red Bull fans don't like. For instance, there are going to be your defectors, uh, and there have been a very small amount, as I predicted last year. There wasn't going to be a huge exodus of Red Bull fans all of a sudden going to NYCFC just because. It hasn't happened. What you have seen, however, is the uninitiated. The third rail has plenty of uninitiated fans to Major League Soccer. They love the world game, but they have no idea what MLS is or, or how it's begun or... They're just brand new fans to the to the sport, which is what you want. On the other side of the fence, though, uh, if you're a, a new fan coming into the Red Bull fandom, you're going to have to kind of work your way through the ranks. There are plenty of people that have suffered with this club for 20 years, so it's like the ultimate attack on newbies, right? I mean, mm-hmm. the Red Bull supporters who have I mean, gone through everything, through the wars, they're, they've, they're coming off the battlefield, bruised, scarred, bitten, beaten, and they're continuing to raise the flag. And here comes this brand new army of, of young kids just unknowing what's out there, not knowing where the landmines are going to be. Red Bull fans are going to have an awfully fun time guiding them right to them and letting them explode. This is going to be a lot of fun for Red Bull fans this year, in particular in the first year. That's why in the first segment I had said it. I'm looking forward to seeing the South Ward like a Viking army. <laughs> Uh, invade the Bronx. You know what I mean? It's going to be thousands of fans unified because Red Bull fans unify for these occasions only. And uh, they're going to make a lot of noise and it's going to be a vibrant atmosphere. And there and then Red Bull fans will feel the hatred that they feel like should be in a rivalry. And, and here it is. NYCFC represents all of it. Uh, it's it's If played out correctly, it's going to be a beautiful, natural, fantastic rivalry, and we're all going to be doing the Michael Jackson popcorn eating uh, by the end of the game, for sure. For I, sure. I, I lost track of how many war analogies you made for that NYC Soccer Wars rant. Thank you. And, thank you. and so, just just to say one last thing, um, you know, you talked about the defections, which so yes, many people yes. expected, and they certainly weren't there. And the advice I would give to the South Ward, which I know they love other people who aren't in the South Ward. Right. <laughs> But if I was going to say anything... Speaking, it's, speaking of landmines, by the way. Yeah, of course. It's, yes, it's important that you know traveling support show up big for the match at Yankee Stadium. That, that's a given. But I would argue that if you want to win this war, then the thing that needs to happen is not worrying about the game at Yankee Stadium. But for the two games that are at Red Bull Arena, when the fans from the Bronx are going to... you know deal with their innate fear of taking the PATH train or have to take a bus into that terrible land of New Jersey or however they're going to get out there to support their club. Show them what you guys can do. Bring it all. Sing for 90. Drop a TIFO. Whatever. Show them what what they've been missing. Well, dropping a TIFO is probably the, the biggest hand they have against NYCFC fans, right? Yeah. I mean, but, can't, but can't I'm serious. the polls in Yankee but, Stadium. The, the thing I've seen over the years is, you know, I've brought people to games or I've had friends show up at games because they've heard good things, is they're always impressed with what goes on in the South Ward. And if you can show those, those uninitiated, those unaffiliated who, are just, who have just bought into the league right. that maybe they picked the wrong side, that's winning the war. That is an excellent speech from General Dickinson, and uh, I, th- I think we could close off with that. Definitely. Dan, games are here, brother. CBA, it's over. Uh, we can't really delve into it and break it down because we don't necessarily know all the details, but it's over, and you have games to look forward to this weekend. Uh, I'm sure Red Bull fans are, are absolutely thrilled. The new season's here. The drama's over, but not, and... Uh, 
We're looking forward to another crazy campaign in 2015. So from Seeing Red for Dan Dickinson, for my man Mark Fishkin, who is somewhere around the world making tons of money, for Dave Martinez, your uh, faithful host, thank you so much for being on the show, for watching, for watching. Thank you so much for listening to the show. It's very late. I'm tripping over my words, and I'm tripping out just thinking that this weekend we're going to watch some matches. So thank you so much for joining us. We will be talking very soon. This is Seeing Red on Back Heel. This has been Seeing Red, the New York Soccer Roundup on BackHeel.com. Listen anytime on iTunes, Stitcher, and seeingredny.com. <laughs>